This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Women Who Travel, a podcast from Condé Nast Traveler. I'm Meredith Carey, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Thalia Koglu. Hello! This week, we're talking to three women in the travel industry, including Sarah Nelson, International President of the Association of Flight Attendants, CWA, Divya Thani, Condé Nast Traveler's Global Editorial Director, and Lindsay Nelson, TripAdvisor's Chief Experience Officer, about how the way we travel has changed over the past year. First up is our conversation with Sarah, who leads a union that represents nearly 50,000 flight attendants at 17 airlines. She recently testified before the House of Representatives, speaking about the rise in unruly passengers on flights. Meredith, take it away. The last time we spoke in July 2020, there was no federal mask mandate for planes, layoffs were imminent, travel was limited, and a lot has obviously changed since then, both good and bad. Um, What does travel look like right now from the perspective of a flight attendant? So we made it through with federal relief. Ultimately, it took a lot of work to keep our jobs in place, but we're, we're no longer necessarily worried about losing our jobs unless this continues on and we hit another downward turn. Now it's about survival ending the pandemic and then trying to recover. And every day when flight attendants are going to work, um, it is very difficult because as has been widely reported, our flights have had a lot of conflict on them. Not every flight, but very often. We took a survey of our members and in 2021, 85% of our members said that they had experienced at least one incident of an unruly passenger on their flight. And nearly 70% said that they had experienced at least five incidents. And to put that into perspective, this is something that we're trained for. We're trained in de-escalation tactics. Flight attendants are very adept at at doing that and actually keeping these incidents very low uh, normally throughout the history of aviation. But it would be a really bad day when something were to rise to the level of making the evening news or even a report to the FAA that something seriously wrong had happened. And now it's more like every single day when flight attendants are putting on their uniforms, they're preparing in their minds that this could be the day that they get punched in the face or that they have to face some some really horrible conflict on board. What is driving that conflict? And what are those tactics that flight attendants try before it gets to the point where they're having to speak to the pilot, they're calling airport police, filing those reports, that kind of stuff? 
So there's a lot of things. I mean, fundamentally, there has been a total dis- information campaign about this pandemic. And uh, people have been led to believe that we're in conflict with each other. And there is just an erosion of public trust because of the conflict of information and conflicting information from leaders all around the country. And and that is fundamentally the biggest problem here. Uh, But there's other contributing factors too. There's the fact that there was essentially no one traveling uh, for 18 months. And so almost everyone who has been coming to the airport in 2021 is like a first-time flyer. And in the past, we always had about 30% of people who were regular travelers who would essentially sort of show everyone else what the program was. That's very helpful for flight attendants because if you think about it, we're on the front lines answering questions. And because so much has become automated in a lot of cases, we are the first company representative that passengers are actually interfacing with. And so when we have more questions to answer during the boarding process, which is our most busy time anyway, uh, we've, we've just got a lot more going on. And so we have learned de-escalation tactics. And the first and most important priority in de-escalating is getting to the conflict as soon as possible, because the sooner you can get there and start the de-escalation process, the more likely you're going to be successful. So because we are so highly tasked, we are at minimum staffing, our planes are full, and it's full of people who just don't know the program, don't know what to expect, it's much harder to get to these incidents and deal with them before they take off. And I do use that in both meanings, because... We also know that in aviation safety, the most important thing to do is to keep problems on the ground. The survey with our members also told us that they saw the first signs of potential conflict 23% of the time in the gate area, over 50% of the time during the boarding process. So in an ideal world, you'd be able to suss that out more and determine whether that is going to continue to escalate or not. Um, De-escalate it right there or take that person off and leave them behind, which would cut down on at least half of those incidents we're, we're seeing. So these are all of the things that are contributing. But I'll, I'll tell you, you know, from Chelsea Handler to President Biden himself, we have had incredible backing from all kinds of people and a lot of reporting on this issue. And we are starting to see the results. So what we're starting to see is the vast majority of people who just want a safe, uneventful flight, which is almost everyone, are starting to say thank you, recognize us, um, speak out, help us. And it's making a difference in the experience on board. What do you feel like is the biggest challenge for the union right now? I really appreciate that question because um, the biggest challenge for the union is keeping our members safe. And that ranges from the issues that we've had on board where flight attendants have been punched in the face and lost teeth. Or that includes the flight attendants who have lost their lives or family members who have lost their lives and their concerns about bringing this virus home to their families. Uh, We have long-term COVID effects that are affecting the ability for people to even come to work and be able to function. Um, So all those safety and health issues are absolutely at the forefront. But I'll tell you that safety and health quickly becomes also about economic security. Because when people get sick, they often take a hit to their income. 
if they don't have proper health care. And let's face it, at some of our airlines, we're on first contracts, regional aircraft, where the health care is not as good as, say, our contract at United Airlines that's been around for nearly 80 years. And so the economic security or lack thereof is the next biggest problem. And we have to get back to bargaining. At the beginning of this virus, actually, the beginning of the onset of coronavirus, the entire industry was expected to be back in bargaining for the first time to move forward after the events of September 11th. So we're talking 20 years that there's essentially been a hold on aviation workers' pay. I mean, we took huge cuts, but I'm saying we had only really broken even with where we were before September 11th this past year. And this was now supposed to be the time where we were pushing forward. We we deserve more <laughs> and we need more to be able to care for our families. So it very quickly... Um, Um, goes from safety to economic security. We talked earlier about the bad habits and even the aggressive actions passengers have picked up over the past 18 months. Do you feel like there are any positive habits that passengers are forming during this time? So I do think that the word has gotten out that you probably need to give yourself a few more minutes when you're coming to the airport. And the more that people do that, because um, there's going to be unknowns, there's going to be holdups at security, there is going to be all kinds of things that may delay your ability to get to the gate and have your stress level pretty high. I do think that people are, are taking that in a little bit and uh, incorporating that into their travel experience. I would just say right now they're recognizing that the airlines are not, in some cases, not going to be able to provide everything. So um, we have don't have all the concessionaires back up and running, for example. And we also have cut back on the service for COVID reasons, because the more interaction that you have, the more that you have people taking their masks down uh, while they're eating or drinking, the more likely that you have opportunity there for spread. And so in order to keep everyone safe, we don't have the same level of service there. And you don't even have the same level of access to food and drink that you might have had in the past at the airports. So I think people are starting to um, come to the airports with a recognition that they better think about how they're going to be able to take care of themselves and their own needs. Um, and, And that's good because that just means when something goes wrong, they're well prepared. I think some of those things that people are starting to think about as travelers are going to serve them well going forward. How do you feel like your own personal travel experiences have changed over the last year and a half? You know, when I started flying as a flight attendant, I had to get my air legs underneath me. That's often what we call it. And almost every single flight, I would get up, get sick in the lavatory. Um, And so I had to get used to the rigors of flying. You're flying in a in a pressurized cabin at uh, an altitude of 8,000 feet and you are bumping around in the skies. And oftentimes that can uh, create a lot of fatigue on your body. And when you become used to that, it's like you're conditioned, almost like a marathon runner. So when you have a break in that, it's hard to get back to it. And I have to say, I'm remembering what it's like. I'm luckily not getting up after every flight and having to run to the restroom, but I do feel more fatigued and um, more worn out after those flights because we just haven't been doing it as much. Yeah, we're all just getting back in the game. And it's exciting that 
travel is back in some way and and that hopefully that will continue going forward. Thank you so much for joining us. If people want to keep up with the union or with you, where can they find you on social media? Well, they can find me on social media at Flying with Sarah on Twitter and Instagram and even Facebook. Uh, but uh, our union website is also afacwa.org. And so you can keep up with what the union's doing and uh, the good tips that the unions have about how to stay safe, too. To shed a little light on how the travel industry as a whole has changed, Lale caught up with Divya Thani, who was named Traveler's Global Editorial Director earlier this year and moved to London from her home in Mumbai last month. Before that, she was Kanadas Traveler, India's Editor-in-Chief for 10 years. Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to level up? For me, it's my hiking boots which have gotten me over some pretty tough terrain. And I'm not talking about my morning commute on the New York City subway. They've pushed me to go to far-off places like trekking in the remote mountains in Patagonia, wildlife spotting amid the thick rainforest of the Amazon, and climbing through canyons in the Utah desert. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. There's an available panorama glass roof, 33-inch all-terrain tires, and multi-terrain select driving modes. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior means that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium, Apple Card, or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Let's start by talking about the past year, which is no easy feat for anyone. What has travel been like for you, both as an editor and also as a traveller? Well, it has been a whirlwind. In retrospect, I can't believe how quickly it's gone by. But of course, while we were in it, in the thick of things, it felt like it was completely unending and would go on forever. I'm sure that's everybody's experience from all around the world. Um, I spent my year um, last year started off in the Maldives and managed to travel quite a bit um, within India, which is where I was living at the time. And after lockdown started, of course, we were very much confined to our homes for a long time. It was a very strict lockdown in India, in Mumbai, where I live. But 
by the end of the year, we were sort of starting to move out again. I managed to go to Dubai, back to the Maldives, traveled a lot within the country to Rajasthan um, and other places as well. And then as it has been in many places, um, we had a second wave and sort of things went back to being quite bad quite suddenly. Um, and so it's been a lot of up and down for this past year. Obviously, as an editor, I've been committed to telling travel stories all year, but also in terms of um, just as a traveler. And I think so many of us who love to travel really identify as travelers. So when that was completely taken away from us when travel was on pause for so much of last year. I have to confess that I had some very, very dark moments, Lali. I, I know that many of us who are either in the travel industry or so close to the travel industry um, really felt like there was you know, a point where we just didn't see a way out of it. And I'm so happy that we are where we are today, where we're seeing signs of things opening up again um, in such a big way. And the excitement has just been incredible. Um, through all of this, I actually relocated from India to London for my new role at Condé Nast Traveler. That was also quite tricky, I have to say. Moving countries is tricky enough on a normal basis. But with COVID and the pandemic and, and all of the restrictions that come with that, it was definitely, I think, more challenging than it normally would have been. Um, I am happy to say that I managed to get four days in Switzerland in between, uh, which was absolutely lovely. I managed to go, um, I take a nice little break at the um, the Bergenstock Hotel, which was really fantastic. So I think overall, if I had to say what the last year was like, I'd say that there were lots and lots of ups and downs. But every time I could travel and make a trip of any kind, whether that was really close to home or moving countries uh, or, you know, just being able to go about um, and feel a little bit normal. Those were absolutely the highest points for me from last year. As an editor myself, back in March 2020, and I don't want to speak for everyone who works at Condé Nast Traveller, but definitely personally, there was a point in which I was staring at my laptop screen just thinking, oh my God, how on earth do we produce a travel magazine? How did you find your way in the dark and start to carve out a voice for travellers who needed guidance during such a confusing and overwhelming time? I think all of us had some days last year where we were completely devoid of, of inspiration and didn't know what to write about. I mean, you, you know, it's very hard to write about travel enthusiastically every day when there's absolutely no flights taking off or even cars out on the street in many places. Um, so it was hard. But I will say that there's a couple of things that really kept me going that made me think really hard about what Condé Nast Traveler was meant to be at a time like this. Um, the first was the fact that people were absolutely consumed by when they would be able to be let out of their homes and when they would be able to travel again and when they would be able to reunite with people that they loved from all across the country and all across the world. And I think people having that sense of community, people coming together in a time like that. You know, it really felt like we were so united all across the planet. Um, there was so much darkness and unhappiness and sadness and just trauma all around us that I really felt that our role was to make people feel a little bit better and for them to focus a little bit more on whatever little signs of, of positive things we had around us. And there were people that, that were doing such incredible work during this entire time. And I really felt like telling those stories would really help 
uplift everybody's spirits. And so that was one of the really guiding principles for me in the kinds of stories that we were telling. The second thing for me was obviously the travel industry was so badly hurt and affected right away. And um, where I was in India at the time, I was surrounded by all of these hoteliers and people in the airlines who were all, while in the midst of the worst crisis they had ever been in, were thinking about how they could use the resources they had to help other people. You know, hotels opened up their doors as quarantine facilities. Some of them were converted into hospitals. Airlines were really helping transport people who were really ill, you know, moving goods back and forth, um, welfare supplies, all of that sort of thing. And so it was incredible to see that at a time when that industry had literally been brought to the ground, that they were more than rising to the occasion and really, really in the true spirit of hospitality, putting the needs and desires of other people ahead of their own. For me, as an, as an editor who works in, in travel, I really felt like those were the stories that we had to highlight and that we had to tell people what these brands were doing, because it's so important, I think, as we hopefully come out of the pandemic, for us to remember people that were good to other people and people that really went above and beyond um, what their normal jobs were, you know, people who really looked out for each other. I feel like we've done that a lot in our personal lives, but I think also it's important for us to remember those businesses and those companies that really helped us make it through that entire time. I think that all of our editions across the world, all seven of them, put out some of their best work last year. And that to me is so incredible. And I'm so, so proud of all of these teams because it was really a difficult time. My next question was going to be what kept you hopeful, but it sounds like everything you just said. <laughs> yes, I think so. Uh, you know, I think looking around at the people, the people that we were surrounded by um, and just making note of those that were doing such incredible work. I think we saw, uh, we really saw the best of people all around the world. We saw people working so hard and so selflessly. Um, I think for a lot of us, it was looking at that and really sort of seeing the goodness of people that really made so many of us hopeful for the future. And I, I've, I feel the same way now. I still feel like that fire has kept, uh, is, still, is still alive and, and kicking. You know, I really do feel that, travel even now is is what everybody is dreaming of at the moment you know we've all started taking little steps and making small trips and I know Lali you just made a big one I got to see you in London recently but um, even for those of us that are making little trips at the moment I think just dreaming about travel um, and knowing that it's on the horizon and knowing that we will be able to be in a beautiful place in the warm sunshine with the people that we love um, eating and drinking and, and all of those things that we used to take so much for granted the fact that they are so much so much closer to us now than they were a year ago um, is really keeping me and I think many, many other people very hopeful at the moment. You know, speaking of those little trips and, you know, people starting to dip their toes back into travel in ways that they feel comfortable with, looking ahead, what experiences do you think travellers are going to be looking for? And sort of even beyond this moment, what do you think some of the long lasting effects might be in terms of what people are prioritizing? In the short term, of course, we all know that we've all been seeking sort of the same things. And that's true for our audiences, again, all across the world. You know, we all wanted to be 
out more in nature. We wanted to make sure that we were in places that were really beautiful. We cared about the quality of the air. We cared about how crowded or not crowded these places were. Um, you know, a lot of those things are quite common to travelers now across the world. I think that in general, at the moment, people are looking more for the familiar. I think we used to all have bucket lists of very exotic, far-flung destinations. And now it seems to be, you know, I want to go back to my favorite place whether they are in Italy or in China or in France or in um, in India, I sort of feel this need to go back to what's comfortable in a certain way. And I think that that at the moment is what we're seeing as well. One of the really interesting things that came about in the past year was the sort of very new interest in sustainability and sustainable travel. Um, all the questions we started asking ourselves last year about how should we be better travelers when this is all done? How can we be more responsible? We all had a taste of what the world would be like when we weren't out and about so much, uh, when we were grounded, when we were not using and consuming as much as we were. Um, we saw what cities would be like if there weren't as many people there and certainly not as many tourists in certain cities. And we realized that they were much nicer places um, and that we needed to think more about local populations in these places. We saw both the good side of people not traveling and we saw the really horrible side of that because so many communities around the world um, really suffered as a result of people not coming in there. And these are places that are very heavily reliant on the tourism industry. Um, we saw what happens to conservation efforts when we don't have um, safaris taking place in Africa, for instance. Um, so I think that all of this talk about sustainable, responsible, regenerative travel um, is something that I think people will be talking about a lot more. And I think it's wonderful that we're doing it. Um, these are things that we saw as, I would say, perhaps micro trends a few years ago that have suddenly become so much more popular, so much more mainstream. And I think, you know, if there's anything that comes out that's good from this last one year, I hope it is the idea that all of us can really remember everything that mattered to us this past year, um, that we don't forget it, that we really value experiences more over products. I feel like we've had such a jolt to our systems in this past year. And I, I do feel that I have faith that we will all become better travelers as a result of that. I'm going to wrap things up with a fun one, which is, where are you most excited to travel to? <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, as I mentioned, I relocated to London just uh, less than a month ago now. And I'm so excited to have all of Europe at my doorstep. Um, it really does feel like such a privilege to be able to you know, to have it so close by. Uh, as I mentioned, I, I would really love to go back to places that I love and that I've always loved. So I would have to say that at the moment, it would probably be the south of France or or then Italy. Um, I would love to be in Tuscany at this moment. Although I have to say it's quite a sunny day in London today, so I don't want to sound ungrateful, but, um, but I would love to be in France or Italy very, very soon. Oh, that sounds like the dream. Divya, where can listeners find you on the internet to follow your new life in London and hopefully your trip to the south of France. <laughs> it's Divya Thani, so it's at D-I-V-I-A-T 
T-H-A-N-I um, on Instagram. Please follow Condé Nast Traveler, of course, across all of our social media and Instagram for certain. But uh, we will, you will definitely see a lot more of all of our staff from Condé Nast Traveler across the globe traveling. I think uh, we're all very excited to be setting an example and being the very first ones out there. So you'll catch us all on, on all across social media. So please do follow us. Do you sometimes wake up with the desire to understand the seen and the unseen forces guiding you through this life? And are you ready to begin uncovering the impact of these forces in your day to day? Do you feel that you could use a little push, a little umph, or maybe even a little juju to be reminded of your power within your ancestors to truly understand you? Well, child, so it sounds like you need a little juju podcast in your life. Hey, bays! I'm your host, Juju Bay. Welcome, Aquaba, bienvenidos to the Womanist Witchy Insight Show, diving deep into the Black healing journey, pop culture juju, and the ancestral spiritual systems that can help get us free. So please come on over and join the ALJ Pod family. New episodes drop every single Wednesday, and you can listen wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth. Finally, Meredith sat down with Lindsay Nelson, TripAdvisor's Chief Experience Officer, to talk about what trends the company is seeing among its users as they start traveling again, and how TripAdvisor adjusted to meet the moment. How has your job at TripAdvisor changed over the past 18 months? Well, I, I, I definitely think it's made for good uh, socially distance cocktail chatter in terms of what does <laughs> it mean to be in a you know executive travel role at a time when the entire world has been you know standing still and. Obviously, it's changed a lot. I think in some ways, we've definitely tried to find the silver lining, particularly around, you know, using a moment when the business sort of comes to a complete standstill to think about how can we sort of disrupt ourselves and how can we innovate from the inside. And from that perspective, this, you know, last year and a half has been both a journey and a gift. And, you know, sort of what came out of that for us is a subscription business that we're really excited about. I would say on a personal level, it has been interesting to think about what is your role as a company that ultimately supports travelers. We're a travel guidance company. And what does that mean in a time where there's so much uncertainty? And what's our role to create, you know, to help people sort of create confidence and knowing and understanding? And then we also have, you know, deep partnerships with businesses, many of them small businesses. And so how do we think about navigating getting people back out there um, you know, when sort of, you know, there was such a moving target month after month after month. You know, I think that sort of moment for us is a little bit behind us, but there was a period of time that it was a, an interesting tension when your business is built on servicing people to travel. And, you know, for a long time, you know, it was important to tell people to stay home. How have you guys seen the way that people use TripAdvisor change from, 
you know, maybe last summer to this summer? What has been the different peaks and valleys of that? Yeah. And so I think there's two pieces of it, which is, you know, how do people think about planning uh, in a time of uncertainty? So we definitely saw a huge interest in our forums, right? Which is, you know, sort of this like delightfully simple capability that we've had for decades, which is, you know, you can go on and you can ask a question and it can be, you know, help me understand uh, the restrictions, you know, for entry. But a lot of it was just tell me what it feels like right now. And, you know, for especially in the beginning of COVID, for a lot of people, which, you know, thought about, okay, well, I don't want to decamp in my one bedroom apartment. Um, You know, why don't I go somewhere? And a lot of people early days, you know, would get the benefit of advice from people who lived in those places, you know, who would kind of describe something that you just can't pick up on by, you know, reading the news, right? And so I think that's kind of the the magic of TripAdvisor and sort of this community orientation of travelers helping travelers. When you guys are looking at what travel experiences and amenities travelers are looking for and wanting right now, what are you seeing and what do you think they'll be looking for in the future when, fingers crossed, we're like back in the game, all pistons firing? Yeah. So certainly in the beginning uh, of the pandemic, you know, travelers were really focused on safety and travelers, frankly, have always been focused on safety and especially women. And I think just what safety means has certainly evolved, right? It's not just only your physical safety. And we've done a ton of work around really trying to amplify information or, and particularly around sexual assault and, and giving, you know, especially women traveling alone, the confidence that they're going to a place that other women have been to before that sort of value for. And I think obviously when you're thinking about a healthcare pandemic, you know, the basics around, you know, is it safe? What are the protocols? And, you know, we launched an entire program that basically enabled businesses to describe the COVID protocols they were following. You could search, you know, from a COVID filter. And I would say, you know, getting sort of to the other side, especially as, you know, a good majority of people traveling are vaccinated. I think the the trend that people hope sticks with us is really around flexibility. You know, the travel industry did a really great job of removing all flexibility and all spontaneity in how we travel. And I think one of the big trends that we saw was, you know, when on average people, you know, historically might have planned a trip three months out and around major holidays, maybe even six months out, that window got really, really short. And at one point in time, that window was like a week, right? Because people felt their lives were very uncertain and rules were very uncertain. And I think some people are getting comfortable with this idea of a little bit more last minute travel. And as we have more flexibility and where we can work from, I think this is going to be a behavioral change that sticks. And then I think it's going to be interesting to see whether the travel category sort of meets that consumer demand around flexibility. I think the one trend I hope disappears and never comes back is menu QR codes. I find it like the most (laughs) tacky way to start a meal, perhaps even like, you know, an important meal or romantic meal is like everybody at the table takes out their phones. And so that is the one I am lobbying uh, for the the return of print. You know, if we can't get it back in journalism, we should take it back in our our dining experiences. So... 
So much of TripAdvisor is about the reviews that provide context for future guests. How have you guys navigated the review system and the forum system, knowing that maybe right now travelers are maybe at their most impatient, but small businesses need our patronage more than ever? Kind of what is that tension? How is it playing out for you guys? Yeah, it, it is such an interesting tension, especially in the review space, which is, you know, how do you sort of like honor the experiences that people had, but sort of not give weight to a person's frustration with a business following protocol, particularly if that protocol is mandated and not optional. And so we actually made a change um, to our moderation policy that if a traveler describes an experience that relates to a business implementing COVID protocols, that that would not follow our guidelines and therefore the review would not get published. And I think it was, we heard from many of our partners and we see it in the content, right? You know, if someone doesn't want to wear a mask and they walk into a restaurant or they get on a plane, it's not a reflection of the business, right? It's a reflection of the moment we're in. I think it was, you know, it was really well received and quite important for us to recognize that, you know, as a, as a, you know, one part of our brand as a review platform, you know, that that things need to change in context of the times that we're living in. I'm curious how you feel the importance of travel in our lives has changed. I feel like I take travel so much less for granted now compared to, you know, just jumping on a plane and flitting about in the before times. Like, how do you feel like when you're looking at your own life and the trends you're seeing on TripAdvisor that is playing out? Yeah, I I think the point you raise is a good one, which is, you know, I don't know if on the surface people like to travel more or care about travel more. I think just the the acknowledgement that travel is a privilege and that crossing borders is a privilege, um, has not only been really poignant, but, you know, especially if you live in a, in a developed country like the U.S., something you've never probably experienced sort of restrictive movement. And so I think, you know, and that's compounded by us, you know, being in our homes, us not having commutes, us not having other spaces that we get to go and live and express ourselves. And so I completely agree that I think this desire to experience and have s- stimulation and newness. So I, I definitely believe more confidently than ever that, you know, travel as a category is, in, is resilient, um, that it's not a fungible part of our budgets or our lives. And I think, you know, as we put in context of what's changed, what gets a little bit interesting is, you know, pre-COVID, you know, there were plenty of conversations about over-tourism, right? And what does it mean to travel responsibly and how to, you know, we not completely ruin the beloved places that we visit because we all show up at the same three weeks in August. And, you know, now the flip side of that is, you know, there's so many economies and so many communities that are completely dependent on travel dollars and how do we think about being purposeful and choiceful about where we start to spend again, you know, as we think about the relationship between sort of community sustainability and, you know, the financial impact that this has had in so many places and continues. Can you just tell me a little bit about TripAdvisor Plus and kind of what the process was for you guys to decide that that was a route that you wanted to pursue? 
Yeah. So, I mean, TripAdvisor, some people don't know this, you know, has been around for more than 20 years, right? And we were, you know, one of the first big internet platforms, one of the biggest community platforms. And But we've always primarily sort of in our core business been a marketing platform for other hospitality companies. And that shows up in a bunch of different flavors and different kinds of advertising solutions. But we had never... Um, really built a robust business around creating something ourselves, you know, that we could bring to market for travelers. You know, there's not a lot in the travel subscription space, right? And when you think about how do you build a program that's awesome for really important trips or a honeymoon, but also really great for the upstate weekend, and what is a program that's also attractive for any traveler, right, which I think is important to our brand, And so TripAdvisor Plus was really born around this idea that, you know, we have all of these connection points, especially to hotels, and what would it look like for us to effectively, instead of taking commission on the transaction, to give that savings back to members. And so for 99 bucks a year, um, you know, if you're a power user, which really just means, you know, you take two or three trips a year, you can save more than $1,000, right? And so... Um, the average savings just on a hotel booking is, you know, around $300, you know. So for 99 bucks, you know, it's a, it's a pretty great deal. Um, and then we've also tried to add additional benefits on top of that. And so I think what was awesome about the last year and a half is not only were we very open to exploration, so were so many partners. And so... We did an awesome deal that we just announced with Rent the Runway, where you can, you know, find something fabulous and ship it directly to your hotel. Uh, we've got a partnership with Hertz, where you get grandfathered into their top elite status. Uh, we just did something super fun with Audible, where you know we we built these travel playlists, and you get access to a great collection of books uh, to sort of replace the beach read. And so it's been really amazing to see, you know, not only like, how do you kind of like bring something to travelers as the bread and butter, which is like, how do you just, how do you save so that you can spend more on your trip, but also to collaborate with all of these cool brands that you might not think of as travel brands, uh, but like the, what travel means and what travel adjacency means, it's like absolutely content and fashion and wellness and all of those other things are kind of part of how we think about, you know, seeing the world now. Thank you so much for joining us. For people who want to keep up with you and what TripAdvisor is up to, where can they find you on the internet? LinkedIn is a great place from a a professional standpoint. Um, We have an awesome Pinterest that I particularly love, which is great to follow us. And I wish I could say I was more active on Twitter these days, but in my in my pandemic reality, some things have have fallen off my to-do list and, and Twitter was one of those. Perfect. Well, I will link the Pinterest in the show notes. Thank you so much for chatting with us and we'll talk to everyone else next week. Hi, I'm Deborah Treisman, fiction editor of The New Yorker. Each week on the Writer's Voice podcast, New Yorker fiction writers read their newly published stories from the magazine. You can hear from authors like Colson Whitehead, Turner nudged Elwood, who had a look of horror on his face. They saw it. Griff wasn't going down. He was going to go for it, no matter what happened after. Or Joy Williams. Her father was silent. Slowly, he passed his hand over his hair. This usually meant 
that he was traveling to a place immune to her presence, a place that indeed contradicted her presence. She might as well go to lunch. Listen to new stories or dive into our archive of great fiction. You can find the work of your favorite fiction writers and discover new ones. Listen and follow The Writer's Voice wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth.